Well, good morning, my friends. This is podcast number 564 for Wednesday, June 6th. Um, I pray that you are well. I think I have that date wrong. It is Wednesday, June 8th. June 8th. Sorry about that. I can't read my writing. Um, let's pray. Lord, I ask you to open our eyes, enhance our understanding so that we can grasp what you want us to learn today. Also ask you to enable us by your spirit to apply the truths that we learn to our daily lives and to be guided moment by moment by your word. We praise you for your word and we pray that in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> Revelation chapter one, verse three. Let's read this aloud. <clears throat> blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So that threefold blessing comes with three big responsibilities. We read the word aloud. Uh, we listen to the word and uh, we keep it. So uh, that's important. We can't just do one or two. We need to do all three. Uh, let's go to, back to Revelation chapter 11. We finished it up yesterday, but there's a couple themes that Ron Rhodes covers, and I, I kind of want to bounce those off you as well. Um, so grab your notepads and your pens. You can look up some scriptures um, as well. But in Revelation chapter 11, 15 and 16, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in kingdom or in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, we're talking about a kingdom again. We're talking about the kingdom being taken back over. And uh, we're talking about Christ sitting on the throne. And uh, go back to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. I want to talk to you about, um, and this again, this is not new to me, but um, this is something Ron Rhodes brought up. And I, I want to touch on this because something, so many times people talk about Jesus just being a prophet or Jesus being a good man. Jesus is more than anything you can even imagine. And one of the things we're going to realize in Revelation is that he's also that that king, um, the final king. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And we know as we study Revelation 5 that this is talking about Jesus. But what does it mean, the lion of the tribe of Judah? Let's go to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis, we're going from the end of the book to the beginning of the book. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. Here's a prophecy that says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Uh, looking forward, I believe, to the millennial reign. Here's a scripture thousands of years old and uh, looking forward to the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus would sit on the throne of uh, David and he would rule and he would reign. That's not yet happening. That's going to happen in the future. Now, how do we know this is going to happen? Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. First of all, we understand we believe the word of God, right? And so that's the first reason we understand that this is going to happen. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jesus, uh, uh, excuse me, there's a promise here of uh, the same promise of the 
um, the kingdom of David never passing away. There would always be someone on the throne. And we know that from that, that someone is going to be Jesus Christ. Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God's promise to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. How will that be when David's getting ready to die here? Because Jesus, as we saw in Revelation 5, 5, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of the house of Jesse, of David. He is that branch. He is the one who would sit on the throne forever. And so we see that all the way back in the Old Testament, that promise, that covenant. And we'll see that fulfilled someday when Jesus takes his rightful place on the throne. Now turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, right after Ezekiel, uh, we find the book of Daniel chapter 7, beautiful prophecy in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel, having a vision, says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. So we have Christ, and we have the Father, and it was presented before him, to, and to him, meaning Christ was given dominion and glory and, and, uh, and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Um, this obviously hasn't been fulfilled because there hasn't been one everlasting kingdom that has lasted. So what, what are we looking at? We're looking forward to the time when Christ will take his rightful place on the throne. Now go to the New Testament in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1. I see why Ron Rhodes thought this to be important. And as I was reading in the notes, I thought, you know, this is important for us to cover because we go so quickly through. Even though um, actually we started this study um, in uh, February, February 14th. And so we've been in it for, for five months. Um, it, many of the things we cover, we cover fairly quickly. Uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Um, talking about the, the birth of Jesus. And we're looking at verses um, 32 and 33. It says uh, about Christ, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of who? his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we're talking about uh, Jesus fulfilling the prophecy um, to sit on that throne from uh, Genesis chapter 49 and from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Go back to Matthew chapter 1 really quick. Matthew chapter 1, for you and who are like me who like to read over the genealogies, Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Um, we look backwards to look forwards. We realize that, that Jesus fulfills hundreds of prophecies in his lifetime, and there are still more to be fulfilled. Now go to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. Uh, there, there's the rider on the white horse revealed to us in verses 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And then we get to 16 and it says, And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we see Jesus fulfilling all of these 
prophecies. Uh, Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is um, the savior of the world, but and he's the Bible says in John fourteen six he's the truth, the only truth, the only life, the only way. He's the only way to the Father. And now we see that in the in the end in the millennial kingdom, which begins in Revelation chapter twenty, we see him sitting on the throne of David, fulfilling yet another prophecy. Now, go back to Revelation chapter eleven and verse nineteen. Revelation in chapter uh, Revelation chapter eleven verse nineteen. There's the this change of scenery again. We talked about it yesterday. Then God's temple in heaven was open, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder and an earthquake and heavy hail. Let's go back to some Old Testament scriptures and just just for a few moments take a look at um take a look at the Ark of the Covenant. In first Samuel chapter four. First Samuel chapter four. I was talking about this yesterday. And I, and I think I brought some confusion, and I want to make sure I I clear this up. The Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 4 captured the ark. This was long before David. And, and in fact, um, Saul hadn't even been uh, um, presented to be the first king. That was in chapter, what, chapter 9 when he becomes the king. And I think I, I mixed the two together, and, and I, I just want to bring that confusion. This Philistine battle happened before David. This was the time when Eli was the prophet and uh, and uh, Eli was the high priest, I should say. And and there was a battle that was taking place and they were losing this battle. And in chapter four, verse three, and when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord um, defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here to Shiloh that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Um, they believe, the Israelites believed that the Ark of the Covenant was some kind of magic uh, and some kind of a powerful thing uh, just to have it there, even in their sinful condition, even in 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 their lives of uh, not being committed to the Lord. They figured all they had to do was wheel out the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of the Lord, and they would win the battle, and that did not happen. Go to verse 22 of that same chapter. And she, the woman giving birth, said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. So Eli's daughter-in-law is about to give birth. And the, she finds out the ark of the covenant uh, has been captured. And she uh, names her son Ichabod, meaning the, the glory of the Lord has departed. Because they didn't believe that the glory of the Lord was the presence of God. They believed the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, and therefore they gave glory to the Ark and not to God, who was greater than the Ark of the Covenant. So so as we're talking about this Ark of the Covenant, uh, we need to understand that the magic, the power is in the presence of God. Um, so John sees the heavens open and he sees the Ark of the Covenant God was just showing him something. God wasn't showing him himself because God is more than the Ark of the Covenant. I hope I make that clear. Now go back to Exodus. Just wanted to cover uh, a few things here before we move on to chapter 12. Exodus chapter uh, 26, excuse me, verses 33 and 34. Exodus 26, 33 and 34, talking about... um, 
the the tabernacle now. And he gets into verse 33, he says, And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony, or the covenant, in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. So we see the ark of the covenant and going in behind the um, the veil, separating the holy place from the most holy place. And only once a year uh, on the Day of Atonement could the high priest go in and offer sacrifices for sins. Um, and it was around the mercy seat where they would sprinkle the blood. On the d- annual Day of Atonement, the high priest sprinkled the blood of a sacrificial lamb on the mercy seat to symbolize the nation's repentance for the sins that were committed the previous year. Israel's guilt was transferred to the animal. So you see the importance of the Ark of the Covenant in their worship and in their ceremonies, that it it represented a place where once the blood, once a year, was sprinkled from a pure animal, pure sacrifice, onto the mercy seat, these sins were forgiven. Jesus would one day shed his blood once and for all, not once a year, but once and for all for the sins of all people. Write these scriptures down. You can look them up later. Israel's guilt was transferred to the animal. Uh, that That's uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 27, and Numbers 29 and verse 7. So when we see the Ark of the Covenant listed in Revelation, we need to realize that God just doesn't do random things. There are reasons that he shows us these things. And again, we realize that in Hebrews, Jesus offers the sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the high priest in the sacrifice as well. He fulfills all of those. And then he goes back to heaven. And when he enters heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he lives to make intercession for us. The last thing I wanted to cover today is the fear of God. This is something completely I think either not taught or misunderstood. Um, The fear of God, Christians are called to live in a reverent fear of God. We need to understand that. All the way back to the Old Testament, let's look at some scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're called as people to live with with a holy fear of God, understanding who he is. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all of my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants. How will it go well with their descendants and with them? To have a healthy fear of the Lord and to keep his commandments. We think because we attend church or we think because we read some scripture, we think because we've come to the altar and ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, that everything is good. We need to live with a healthy reverence and awe and fear of the Lord in, um, in our lives. Go to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13 said, it is the Lord your God, you shall fear him and you shall serve him, and by his name you shall swear. How are we to live? How were they to live back then? They were to live with a healthy fear of the Lord. Why? Because he is the only true God. Now turn to Proverbs. This is a scripture many of you already could quote before I even get there. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1 
and verse 7, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Philippians, or excuse me, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We have got to get back to a healthy understanding of what the fear of the Lord means. We've got to understand what it means that he is God and he is all-powerful, all-knowing. In uh, church today, I'm, I'm, I'm recording this on a Sunday, um, pastor shared a scripture from Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 4 and talks about we are all naked before the Lord and nothing is hidden. Going back to our first parents in the garden when they sinned and they tried to hide and they couldn't hide from God, we can't hide anything from the Lord. We need to live with a healthy respect and fear from the Lord. And one more scripture and we'll close in Luke chapter 1 and verse 50. Luke chapter 1 and verse 50 and it says this, and his mercy, God's mercy, this is Mary's song of praise, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I talked with my sister last night. We had a family gathering and one of her concerns is that she sees that our family is a generation away from not being a family of faith. And that's a, that is a, that's a, that's a relevant fear. It's a relevant thing to think about that, that um, there's not a lot of our family members or our nieces, nephews, and grandchildren who are, who are serving the Lord. And uh, that is something we need to pray about. And we just made a commitment to pray, and she stood up and challenged our family, which I thought was a beautiful thing, uh, to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. Um, so we there we have it. We have uh, today. We talk about Jesus, the King, the Ark of the Covenant, the fear of God. I thought Ron Rhodes handled these well, and I wanted to cover them before we get away from Hebrew or uh, Revelation eleven. So let me close. Second Peter three eighteen, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. God bless you until we talk again.